Amen. Uh, a note for you before we get into all the other stuff we have in front of us today. Um, if you're ever here on a Sunday and you find that we are praying through something like what the team just led us through and you'd like to revisit it later, um, you might have noticed last week uh, in the podcast feed, uh, Mariah put together a podcast version of the same prayers and reflections that we had on Sunday morning for the podcast. And so uh, keep an eye out for that kind of thing from time to time. No promises on how frequent that'll happen, but I do want to like celebrate and call out the fact that we, we want to get better at taking some of the things that happen here on a Sunday because some of us are here on Sunday and we pray through it once and we feel like we're just getting started and it would be nice to return to that practice throughout the week. And then others aren't here every Sunday or aren't here at all but are just kind of part of the family in a digital way. And we'd love to make that stuff available to you because we're, you know, we're more than like one talking head as a community, although sometimes in the podcast feed that's what it sounds like. And so anyway, just want to like call that out and celebrate that and uh, make sure that you notice that that's a resource that's out there for you on the podcast. Now, um, we're going we're gonna to cover a couple of things today. We're going to get to the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which is what we've been listening to and learning from since back in September. Before we do that, though, we owe you an update on another big development in the life of our community. So I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this, uh, but I hope that you'll find that it's, it's really useful for you, it, whether you're like part of the family and you want to know what's up, or maybe you're brand new here, and I hope what you will hear today is a little snapshot of our heart and our hopes for the future. So let me remind you of a date that's coming up uh, on the screen, June 2023. If you've been around for a bit, you might remember that June 2023 is the end of our lease here in Studebaker 112. So the room that you and I are sitting in right now, uh, we have this until June 2023, about a year and a half from now, and no further. Uh, it's been uh, clarified for us in understanding what's happening in the development here that uh, the longest we get to be in this room and those kids' rooms in this space right here is June 2023. And so we've spent months working really hard trying to understand all of our options. Uh, we've continued to look at options that keep us here in the Studebaker development, although it wouldn't be in this room, it would be elsewhere with a new build out and new costs associated. And that picture, uh, we continue to try to understand that, um, but we've, we've been looking at that. However, uh, we've also like, looked around the city and tried to understand like, what else could be a home for us and uh, a while ago, we stumbled into this uh, curious possibility, which is the printing press building of the South Bend Tribune. And again, hopefully this isn't news for you. We've been talking about this since last September. Um, but what I wanted to clarify for you today, first of all, is the fact that uh, in all this discerning and listening to you and trying to understand like hopes and fears and concerns about these prospects in looking at the landscape around us and in knowing that we need some kind of home, uh, the Tribune has really emerged as the best viable option that we believe we have in front of us. And so I wanted you to know today that we are pursuing a purchase agreement on that building. Yeah, that's exciting, right? Some of you are excited about that. Yeah, cool, good. Yeah, I don't know how much you know about commercial real estate. I am learning a lot right now. Uh, these are kind of complicated processes and they take a while. A purchase agreement, basically it's like the thing before you actually like do the deal, right? But it lays out the terms and it lays out timelines. And the purchase agreement that we are working on is one that puts us in a position to be able to get our hands on the building, but to do so in a way where we can kind of work out how we're gonna do this as a community. And there's timelines there, uh, especially for uh, like the financial aspect of the project. And so I also wanted you to know today that between now and Easter, we are gonna be tackling the financial aspect of this project. So let's talk about that for a minute today. Not like the detail of it, but the heart of it because I want to put some stakes in the ground for us as a community about how we're going to go at this. Uh, first, a story. 
Uh, back in November, I was on a trip with some friends. And while I was on this trip with some friends, we met up with a friend of one of the friends. And so we're out at dinner one night, and it's me and a few of my friends. And then the person who's hosting us for dinner at this restaurant is a friend of one of my friends. Got that? Cool. So I haven't met this friend of one of my friends until this night, but I'm at dinner with a friend of one of my friends. And this friend of one of my friends uh, is getting to know all of us. And at one point in the dinner, um, my friend, not the friend of the friend, but my friend, she speaks up and kind of introduces me to her friend in this really, like, lovely way. So this friend of mine who's introducing me to her friend, uh, she's, like, she's Jewish. She's, like, she doesn't have an identity that would, like, really, like, jump into this church thing. But she's, she speaks, like, really generously about, like, South and City Church. And she's like, you know, Jason's a part of this community, and here's the heart in this community, and here's the beautiful things that this church is doing. So she shares all of that at the dinner, and I was, I was like, it's feeling pretty good, you know? It's nice to get introduced that way. And then, like, a little later in the dinner, things took a turn. It might have had to do with the fact that the friend of the friend was several drinks in. I don't know. But the friend of the friend, who was Norwegian, with a kind of heavy accent, uh, also a few drinks in, so his speech was affected in that way, too. He just kind of, like, takes this turn at me out of nowhere and begins to tell me um, how corrupt he assumes I am. I mean, he just, and, and he lays into me for uh, about an hour and a half. And, you know, he asks, like, well, how, it's a new church. How would you do that? And I said, well, and, and by the way, he's, he's uh, in, like, finance. Everybody else at the table is, is in some, like, financial work, like venture capitalist or whatever. And so I know that they're familiar with, like, startup cultures, and I feel like that's a, probably a helpful sort of common ground to start with because there's a little bit of overlap between starting a church and starting other things. You have to cast a vision and create buy-in and raise money, you know, and start kind of talking through that. And he's just absolutely incensed at the idea that I would ask people to give money to a church because he has this really intense experience or, or view of religious history that is completely focused on the ways that like, churches and religions can be coercive and manipulative and exploitative. And so he's just coming at me for you know, a while. And I'm trying really hard to not be defensive because I don't know that that really helps in a situation like that. You know? um, but I, I found myself saying to him, Something that I really believe, although you ever like find out what you believe when you say it sometimes? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like you're up against the ropes and somebody's just coming at you and then like something comes out and you're like, oh, I really believe that, you know? And the thing I told him was, I'm like, hey, I know that there's a lot of bad religion out there. And religion can be used for really, really bad things. But I actually believe the best antidote to bad religion is good religion. Like I just don't think there's any future where our species gives up in trying to understand what it means to be human. I, and because, like, I believe in God and I believe in this Jesus story, I don't believe there's any future where that just goes away. So, like, the best I can offer is that we're going to get in the game and try to do, like, a better version of it. Not a perfect version of it, but a better version of it. And try to hold our feet to the fire and do it with integrity. And because I don't think humanity is going to stop being religious, I don't think humanity is going to stop getting together and asking big questions. I don't think humanity is going to stop pursuing this thing inside that tells us that there's more to all of this than meets the eye. Like, I just don't think that's going away. The only question is what version of it will we have? And so I think, like, the, the interesting thing to do is to get in the game and try to do it with integrity and try to do it right. And I feel that way about us raising funds for this project. Because I know that when you hear we're going to have to do, like, a, a, you know, our fundraise, we're going to have to bring some cash together to do this thing, you might be feeling some of the very same concerns that my Norwegian, I was going to say friend, I'd like to think of him as a friend. I don't know if he thinks of me as a friend. Uh, I would, 
you, know, you might be feeling some of those same concerns. And today I just wanted to say a couple of things about what you should be able to expect from us. And if you see us not doing these things, you should be able to call us out on these things, right? So I just wanna like lay uh, a bit of a, a baseline here. And we, we wanna live out the same values with this project that we are trying to live out in every er other area of our life. And those values are expressed in our mantras. Uh, these four big ideas that matter so much to us that we've had images commissioned of them and the paintings are hanging on the wall. And I just want to say a word or two about how we imagine these mantras uh, holding our feet to the fire and calling us forward in this project, okay? So first of all, sushi, not fish stew. Uh, this is a, a mantra that speaks to us about simplicity, about um, knowing who you are and what you are here for and not getting distracted by all the noise. This is a mantra that reminds us that not every need is a calling. And that, like, you have to be really clear on like, who you are and what you are here for so that you can make something beautiful and simple and not let all the beauty and simplicity of what you are actually here for get lost in a mess, right? Uh, for us, that means at least a few things. First of all, like in the actual process, we are looking for the simplest version of doing this. Sometimes when churches do this kind of thing, it gets really, really complicated. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever been around a church that's raising money for a building. It can get really complicated. Yeah. There are like, yes, right? Yeah. There are very like sophisticated ways of doing this. We are not that interested in that. We're interested in the best way of doing that, and there might be some complexity behind the scenes. Uh, but we want to we go out this while we keep the main thing the main thing. And by the way, the building is not the main thing. It's a great tool, but it's not the main thing. Uh, side note, I have had a few people say, well, why don't we just go nomadic again? We were nomadic at the beginning of our life. We went to the brick and the century center and the double tree. And here is the interesting thing about that. Of all the people who have said to me, why don't we just go nomadic again? You know who's never said that to me in the last six months? The people who had to set up. All the people that had to get up at like five in the morning and show up at the building at 5.30 and we had to do like stretches and calisthenics so we didn't pull anything to get the speakers out of the storage closet. Like, there is an enormous drain on the energy and the sort of volunteer resources of a community when you go nomadic, and that's all that energy could be put into other things. So side note there. Um, but anyway, uh, back to this. So uh, in the process, we want to keep it simple. We want to remember that the building isn't the main thing, but it can serve the main thing. We want to keep it rightly ordered. And then also our vision for our life in the building. That's the other thing. We are uh, really passionate about making sure this is a space that is good for the community all week long, not just for a few hours on Sunday. But as we pursue that, we're still gonna have to figure out how we like, keep things clear and don't get too uh, complicated in the process. Make sense? Uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, what do I have next? Practices, not performances. Um, this is like deep in the heart of this community because we believe that with God, you have nothing to prove. Like you don't need to perform anything for God, for God to approve of you, for God to love you, for God to want to give God's self to you. It's just not the universe that we are living in. And we believe the church ought to be an operating system that mirrors that, right? So like we're going to treat this whole thing like practice too. And yeah, there will be invitations to make financial commitments from people, um, but you have nothing to prove. You know that, right? And like whether you choose to participate financially or how you choose to participate financially, we're gonna have the same heart for that that we've had for anything else we do. So maybe you've been here on a Sunday and we invite you to do what Mariah just led us through, like a practice like gratitude or prayer. And hopefully in those practices, you've heard us say, like this is opt in or opt out, right? 
because you have nothing to prove here. And nobody's sitting around judging you based on like whether you're in this or not. We just want to get better and grow up together. And practice is a good way to do that. And we think the financial part of this project will be a good practice for us without you having anything that you have to prove to us, right? Uh, let's talk about fields, not factories. Um, there'll be a process to this whole funding project. The thing about fields and factories is they both have processes. You know that, right? Like, there are ecological practices and there are industrial practices, but they're different. And I'll resist the urge to preach the whole sermon on Fields Not Factories right now. But like, the, there will be a process here. We will do things to try to help you understand how you can participate. But one of the differences between uh, an ecological practice and an industrial one is when you do an industrial practice, you assume that you are in control of all the variables and that you can get the outcome you want, right? We don't have that assumption about this. We, like, we, don't, we don't know what our financial capacity is as a church to give cash up front. We do believe that this entire project is doable in the scope of what we do know about this church in terms of like financial resources and annual budgets and stuff like that. But like what, which version of the project we do and how much cash we'll raise up front versus how much we'll mortgage, all that. Like we, we don't know exactly what will come from this community and we don't have the illusion that we can pull all the right levers and get exactly what we think we want. Make sense? We're going to see what grows from this. We're going to uh, crack open the soil and plant some seeds, and we're going to see what grows from this. And then lastly, everyone an icon. And, and this, I think, might be the place where I've heard the most um, anxiety about a project like this, because too many of us have been in too many spaces where we have discovered that at some point, the more money you have, the more you matter. And we're not going to do that. Um, first of all, everyone an icon, the first thing it means for us is that you, whoever you are, no matter what you walk in here with, you are a bearer of the sacred image of God. And our job is to learn how to see that in one another. No matter where we're coming from, no matter what means we have, whether we show up in this project with money or with energy or with talent or with hours that we put into it or whether we don't participate at all, it doesn't matter. You are a bearer of the sacred image of God. And the first thing we hear in this mantra is that our job is to learn how to see that and honor that in one another. Now, there's the other thing about everyone an icon, though. It's both status. Like, status is saying you are a bearer of the image of God, period. Uh, there's, there's nothing about what you've done or who you are that can negate that, and we're here to honor that. So that's status, right? But everyone an icon is also a calling. You are a bearer of the image of God. I am a bearer of the image of God. So let's bear the image of God. So let's learn to live and show up in the world in a way that looks a little bit like God. So to teach everyone an icon is also to believe that there are better ways of being here and not so good ways of being here, right? Like to show up violently in the world, that doesn't look like God. It's not a good way of showing up. To show up generously and lovingly in the world, that's a better way of showing up, right? I would even say that um, to live sacrificially is a way that looks much more like God in the world than to live selfishly, right? And then here's the other thing that we often say about everyone an icon. That, like when you read the scriptures and you get to the beginning of Genesis, the, the end of the first chapter, and you hear that you and I are bearers of the image of God, and you say, by that point, 27 verses into the scripture, you ask, well, what do we know of God at this point? Like the God whose image we bear, what do we know of God yet? And if you're at Genesis 1, 26 and 27, you haven't read a lot of the Bible yet, but what you've seen in Genesis 1 is the creation story, where God keeps getting God's hands on the raw materials and making beautiful things. 
when you read Genesis 1, there's sort of a pattern that God keeps getting God's hands on the raw materials and kind of separating and sifting and shaping and making beautiful things out of the raw materials. And that's the kind of calling that we hear when we preach everyone an icon, that you and I are here to get our hands on the raw materials of this world and make beautiful things. And I think this project is a really good chance to do that. Like, let's talk about raw materials for a second. Let me put this picture on the screen. You've probably already seen this. So this is that main printing press room in the building that we are pursuing through a purchase agreement. And this is built in the late 90s. And uh, by the way, you can just feel, like, it just feels like a cathedral, right? <laughs> uh, I feel that the first time I walked in there, and I have ever since. Um, this, this is some of the raw materials that we want to get our hands on and make something beautiful out of. This room uh, was originally made to elevate important stories. I mean, that's what a local newspaper printing press is. It was made to elevate important stories. Um, I know there might be some cynicism in the room about journalism or media, but let's, like, let's point out, like, at its best, journalism amplifies the truth. At its best, this was a room that was meant to amplify things that are true in the world. At its best, this was a room that was meant to help people understand the world and understand their place in it. Right? Now, again, I don't know what your experience is of reading newspapers, but wouldn't that be great if that's like, what you felt when you like, turned to that? I think that was always the heart behind this thing. And the good news is I think it will still be what happens here if we get our hands on this place and make it beautiful. And we could take this and turn it into something that looks a little bit more like this. And to take something a little run down, a place that's been blighted and empty for almost two decades, and fill it with life again, uh, feels like something that we might want to get our hands on and do, right? Uh, the other thing I just want to like, observe with you is that values, like our four mantras, their job isn't just to keep us in line, although they should, right? Values should keep you in line. They should like, keep you from doing things you shouldn't do, right? But the other purpose of like, values or mantras is that they propel you forward. So a value shouldn't just like, keep you from doing bad things. It should propel you into beautiful things. And I think the question we get to ask is, like, how do we let these convictions that have shaped us from the beginning propel us into this project and show us how to do it the best possible way? Uh, we've been teaching the Sermon on the Mount, and in Matthew 5, we heard Jesus say, like, I want your good deeds to shine. And last week, I observed that when he talks about you having good deeds that shine, he's specifically speaking to you as a group. That, that when we together in following Christ in the world, that when we together find a way to do good and meaningful things in the world, that something about the work that we do together is a powerful witness to the nature of the God that we are gathered around. And I think if we do this right, uh, we get to redeem some of those painful stories about churches and finance and capital campaigns. We get to redeem a building that's been blighted and empty for almost two decades and fill it with new life. And we get to do all of that to tell a story in South Bend about the nature of God and the good news that we keep discovering in Jesus. And so um, between now and Easter, we're going to get practical about it, and we're going to tackle the financial piece of the project. And as we do that, we uh, genuinely welcome uh, questions, concerns, hopes. Uh, we are wide open for that. And we're just going to find ourselves together figuring out the best way to do that. Sound good? Yeah? All right, cool. We'll, uh, we'll keep uh, you updated as we move along. Uh, for now, the one thing I would ask is, like, uh, be praying about it and be praying for it. Um, that's the ask today on the project. Uh, we hope something will happen in our midst that um, is hard to describe or explain. 
without the mystery that we believe in breaking in and working among us. And so prayer is a really great way to do that. I've found myself often kind of driving laps around the Tribune building late at night. <laughs> Probably freaking some people out, I don't know. Uh, but it's just a way to kind of like meditate on it and think about what our life would be like in that building there. And uh, I fully endorse that behavior. We're gonna have like a whole, like a, uh, anybody used to cruise McKinley in high school? Is that still a thing? When I was in high school, kids would go cruise McKinley. They just like lap their vehicles at night and play loud music. We could do that around the Tribune building for the next six months. Make it like a prayer thing. Um, all right, that's that. You guys want to talk Sermon on the Mount for a minute? No, you're, you're good. You got all you wanted out of the morning. It's fine. I know we've covered a lot of business. We're going to do this briefly, but I just want to keep moving, keep making progress on what we are hearing from Jesus in Matthew chapter 6. So last week, we looked at him talking about giving in secret. And we're not going to do an open floor about your secret giving because it would no longer be secret. But I hope that some of us took on the practice of giving something anonymously somewhere. Jesus continues the theme of doing things in secret, but the, the texts that we're gonna look at today are not about generosity, they're more about devotion, like our life with God. So let me show you what he says in Matthew chapter six, verse five. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly I tell you, they have received their reward in full. And when you pray, go into your room and close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, don't keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Now the next thing that happens in the text is Jesus goes on to teach what's called the Lord's Prayer. You know, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. We're going to save that for next week. We're going to hang out in the Lord's Prayer next week, not just through teaching, but through some practice, okay? But then right after the Lord's Prayer, I want to show you the next thing that he does, because he continues the same thing, talking about fasting. He says, when you fast, don't look somber as the hypocrites do, for they disfigure their faces to show others they are fasting. Truly, I tell you, they received their reward in full. But when you fast, put oil on your head and wash your face so that it will not be obvious to others that you are fasting, but only to your Father who is unseen. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Uh, I don't know a better set of texts for practices, not performances, than these. He's speaking about like the temptation to perform your life with God in front of other people for the kind of affirmation that you will get from other people, as if you have something to prove to all of these people. And it's like Jesus is simultaneously saying, not only do you have nothing to prove to them, but that's not even what God wants out of your life with God. There's something else at stake here. So if it's about practices, not performances, let's talk a little bit about performance culture. Jesus is specifically speaking in a fairly like performatively religious culture. And I'll, I'll say something in a minute about how we may not be living in that world today. But in the world that Jesus is living in, I mean, he's living at a time and a place and among people where religious expectations are like fully integrated into social expectations, right? Like, like uh, their government, their, their social lives, their economy, all of that is very explicitly woven together with their understanding of scripture and their life with God and the kind of obligations that they've derived from that life. Uh, during the time that Jesus is speaking, across the ancient world, it's common for Jewish people to pause and pray at 3 p.m. Why? because at 3 p.m., roughly, the evening sacrifices are beginning at the temple in Jerusalem. And that's, I mean, the temple in Jerusalem is like where it's at for these people. And so even if you can't be there in Jerusalem at the temple to see the sacrifice and be a part of it, wherever you are in the world, you kind of pause and you take that time around 3 p.m. to pray. Uh, by the way, in the modern world, a similar sort of uh, analog to that would be our Muslim neighbors 
who pray at set times of the day and turn their attention toward Mecca. Similar, it's sort of an awareness. Jerusalem is where it's at for us, and at 3 p.m. today, this is when it's happening. So I pause to pray. So you have this very kind of like public like expectation around this is when we pray and how we pray. Now, granted, I don't know that a lot of you in your workplace or if you're like at the mall, I don't know if you feel like a need to pause at 3 p.m. to pray, but there is one place in our modern life where there seems to still be some social expectation around public prayer. What am I talking about? Dinner, right? Meals. Yeah. I don't know if you feel that. Uh, by the way, this is not a shaming. If you did not pray for your breakfast, we're not judging you for it. But that's kind of the example of like the public pressure on performance to pray, right? I, w- I went to um, a, a very, very Christian college uh, here in town. Uh, the Christians were everywhere. Uh, they just like infestation in the place, you know? <laughs> and I'll never forget a moment when I bumped into the kind of thing that I think Jesus is very aware of here. I was at my meal in the dining commons there uh, at Bethel eating lunch one day, and I was eating by myself, and I had my tray in front of me. And what I actually liked to, to do sometimes is pray an eyes-open prayer, because I would actually like, look at everything on my tray and be like, God, thanks for that, and thanks for that, and I don't know where that came from, but thanks for that, you know? And by the way, I would like to think that the capacity to say thank you to God for the things that show up on a college cafeteria's tray is really like quite spiritually monumental. I think I was really doing quite well, right? But because I prayed with my eyes open, it wasn't physically, visibly apparent to other people that I prayed before my meal. And then, after one of these days, when I prayed eyes open, a loving brother in Christ came to me with a word of accountability. Because across the cafeteria, he had seen that I had deigned to eat my food without praying to the Lord my God before I ate. And he was just concerned a little bit about my soul. And so he came for like a loving word of confrontation. And I just remember thinking, the, the irony was that in this moment of confrontation, you were causing me to say things in my mind that are not very Christian, right? <laughs> Words I can't say here. In fact, from that point on, I decided that's it. I'm not praying before my meal because bleep you. Uh, <laughs> but like that's the kind of like social fabric that Jesus is living in. And he seems to be really concerned about what happens in a space like that. That somehow like the heart and meaning of prayer, the heart of our life with God can get utterly divorced from our like way of acting and showing up in the world. And like I think Jesus is really fierce about our life with God. I think he wants us to have a life with God. And I think he believes in the character and the nature of that life with God. That, that when we find us in our life with God, we find we have nothing to prove. We, like we have no performance to put on. That when we find ourselves in our life with God, we discover something with God that he described in those Beatitudes that he began this sermon with. That God just wants to give God's life to you. That God wants to live God's life through you. Not because you earn it, not because you perform it, not because others affirm it, but simply because God wants to live God's life in you and through you. And I think Jesus is vigilant about the kind of attachments and expectations and behaviors that take us away from that conviction and lead us into the proving ground of other people's opinions, right? We said last week, Jesus seems concerned about character, not reputation. I mean, if Jesus is concerned about reputation, he's very bad at it because his own reputation suffers dramatically in the Gospels, but he seems obsessed with the question of, like, who are we actually becoming? Not even perhaps as concerned with what do you believe or how do you behave, but more specifically, who are you becoming? Are we becoming whole? Are we healing? Are we growing up? Are, are we growing in character? Are we becoming the kinds of people who live like God and who love like God? Because God wants to live God's life in us and through us. I mean, this seems to be Jesus' obsession. 
And I know I've said this like many times, but I want to like drive it home because if we're doing the Sermon on the Mount, like we have to keep our hands on the heart of it. And the heart of it isn't, here's a new law for you to obey, uh, kind of external performance. The heart of it isn't just um, this stuff is impossible, so forget about it and just hope that you're forgiven. That's not the heart of it either. Jesus seems to actually think something can change in us when we simply open our hearts and consent to God wanting to live God's life through us, which is why he begins with those blessings for the weak and the poor and those lamenting great loss. But he ends those beatitudes, how? With a blessing for the persecuted. With a blessing for the kind of people who become so potent in the world. Uh, The kind of people who are such a threat to evil in the world that evil has to come after you. I mean, he, he goes from poor in spirit to you are a threat to the order of the day because your life has become so potent that it has to take you out. He goes from the one to the other in eight verses. That was a quick development, Jesus. But he seems to actually think that people who are learning to live their actual life with God, not to perform it, not to earn it, not to prove it, but are just learning to live their life with God are people who are becoming a threat to the evil in the world and an actual force for the kind of good that God wants to do in the world. We don't do it on our own, but like, Our lives become conduits for that kind of thing. And when I hear Jesus like railing against public prayers and public fasting, I hear this this protectiveness in him for us and our life with God. Uh, He seems to think it might be like the most important thing about us, not separate from what we do in the world, but because what we do in the world will flow from our life with God. And so uh, I use most of our morning to talk about a project where I hope our life with God will show up. Uh, But I didn't want to, like, leave behind the Sermon on the Mount today because, you know, back to, like, the building not being the main thing. The only point of having a building is if it's the kind of place where we are learning to live out the stuff that Jesus is talking about in Matthew 5 and 6 and 7. So I'm, I'm like, fighting for it right now. I'm like, I don't want the building to take over. So we're going to do the Sermon on the Mount for a minute, darn it. So there you go. Uh, I also want to remind you that baptism is coming on Easter. And baptism um, is this beautiful... um, ancient ritual that's been with the church for 2,000 years. And so on, on Easter and leading up to Easter, we'll be inviting you if you want to be a part of that. And I, I hope what's becoming clear is that we actually think the Sermon on the Mount is the invitation, that God wants to live God's life in you. Uh, along the way, we'll talk more and more about things like forgiveness, uh, reconciliation with God. We'll talk more about like death and life. We'll talk more about what it means to be with Christ in life. But today, I just want to say, like, baptism is for people who just simply want to consent, who want to say yes, who want to surrender, who want to say, like, I want to be all in on that life that Jesus is talking about, the one that he seems ready to give me and to work out in me and through me. And it's for people who are waking up to the idea that, you, that your life with God is available right now. It's a gift. It is good. And not only can it change us, but it can change the world. Uh, shortest sermon ever on a Matthew text. You all good? good? If you're able, will you stand to your feet? I just said y'all. Last week I told you I hate that word. <laughs> I don't know what's happening to me. Um, before our benediction, man, I love you. It's good to see you uh, as we kind of navigate this ongoing COVID life. I know that we will sort of have fits and starts and Sundays where we wonder where half the church is. That's fine. Um, but uh, I hope we kind of feel the sacred power of actually being together and trust that it's, it's worth it uh, on a day like today. That being said, uh, may you know the God who wants to give God's life to you.
May you trust that you have nothing to prove and nothing to earn. May we shake off the performances that have shaped our lives and seeped into our hearts and taught us to manage reputation more than character. And may we trust that by simply saying yes again and again to God, living God's life in us, uh, that we may change and the world may change. And may grace and peace be with you. Amen. Love you all. See you next week.